0: want to say hello to our uh, New Ego campus. We're so glad that you're joining us remotely today. Um, you can see that is the picture of the group up there in New Ego. I, I think I counted in the mid-50s, but it was really hard to tell because it's kind of a small picture. But there's a, a bunch of us up there camping, so we hope you have a terrible time since you're not in here. <laughs> with it. Not really. We're, we, we're so thankful for you and know you're part of us. and so. So enjoy your time up there. Also want to stop and uh, remember our brother, Dan Fisk, who passed away. For those of you who um, maybe didn't meet Dan because Dan has been sick for quite a while, this is Kay Fisk's husband. Um, So Kay, well done caring for Dan these last several years. Well done. You, You vowed in sickness and in health and you did it. Amen. Thank you for setting an example for us. Amen. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Lord, we do want to remember the Fisk family. And Lord, we pray that you'd be the God and Father of all comfort to them. We pray that you'd give them peace that passes all understanding, because you're the Prince of Peace. Lord, when they are, when they are weak, meet them with your strength. And when they have decisions to make, Lord, give them, their, give them your wisdom. And Lord, I pray too for, um, for us this morning as we think about life and think about death. Lord, I pray that, that you'd stand in front of me while I'm in front of them, that you'd talk over me while I talk to them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Question. If you knew you would die in 107 days. If you knew you would die in 107 days. If you're doing the math, that is November 27th. That is the Monday after Thanksgiving. How would you live between now and then? So if you knew you had one more Labor Day. One more, this is, this is your last Labor Day. Who would you spend it with? How would you spend it? If you knew you had one more Allegan County Fair, would you go? Who would you go with? What would you do? I have gotta ask, I wasn't going to, but what fair food would you get first? <laughs> If you knew you had one more set of fall colors. If you knew you had one more hunting season. If you knew this would be your last Thanksgiving. How would you live? See, this is what living backwards means. As we think about the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes makes the point that The only things that are certain in life are death and judgment. So because death and judgment are coming, and coming faster than we think, we must be ready. We must live with a deadline in mind. And and the argument is, we do, just like we do better work when there's a deadline, we live better when we know there's a deadline. So if you had 107 days to live, what would you do? Before we read uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, I have a question for you, and it is, was Ronald Reed wise or a fool? So, do you know, first of all, first of all, you don't have to answer this out loud, but do you know who Ronald Reed was? That's going to be important later on. Do you know who Ronald Reed was? I'm guessing that you don't, but maybe some of you do, If if you're very well read or if you if you can memorize the news. Ronald Reed fixed cars at a gas station for 25 years and swept floors at J.C. Penney for 17 years. He bought a two-bedroom house for $12,000 at the age of 38 after coming home, after some time, after he was a World War II vet, and lived there for the rest of his life. He was widowed at age 50 and never remarried. A friend recalled that his main hobby was chopping firewood. In the wiki article about him, it also includes the idea that he loved to walk around and pick up sticks to burn so you didn't have to waste, you know, good wood that you could chop up and cut. Reed died in 2014 at age 92, which is when the humble rural janitor made international headlines. 2,80,0, 13,503 Americans died in 2014. Fewer than 4,000 of them had a net worth of over $8 million when they passed away. That's a little under 1.5%. Ronald Reed was one of them. Remember my question, was he wise or was he a fool? Was he wise to save money all his life or should he have spent it? Ronald Reed was one of them. In his will, the former janitor left $2 million to his stepkids and more than $6 million to his local hospital and library. I was reading in the Wiki article that the hospital, or that the library's budget, annual budget, was about $600,000 and he left them a million and a half. I, I, I think, looking back, I remember that being in the news and the people at the library just sitting there in awe like, not even, what are we going to do next, you know, type, type thing. Those who knew Ronald Reed were baffled. Where did he where get all that money? It turned out there was no secret. There was no lottery win and no inheritance. Reed saved what little he could and invested it in blue-chip stocks. Then he waited for decades on end as a tiny savings compounded into more than $8 million. The Wiki article said that one Someone remembered anyway, this may have happened more than once, but someone remembered anyway that he would, his, his buttons on his jacket had come off, so he would like safety pin them together because you can't afford to spend money on a new jacket. That's after all, this one still works. And so he'd be sitting in his restaurant drinking his coffee, and someone bought his lunch because they didn't think he could afford it because of how he was dressed. Was Ronald Reed wise? Or was he a fool? Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse one. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open with me. I'll read the chapter. Otherwise, I'll read the passage. Otherwise, it will be on the screen. Ecclesiastes one, one. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So if we're going to do the book of Ecclesiastes, we have to stop and talk about what the word vanity means, because we're not talking about a mirror. What does vanity mean? Well, the footnote helps. So if you have an ESV translation of the Bible, Uh, Open in front of you, there is a footnote, and you'll see it there. It might be a number, it might be a letter. It's probably um, one, or I'm sorry, it might be two, or it might be B. But it's like this. It reads, the Hebrew term, uh, H-E-B-E-L, so havel, translated vanity or vain, refers concretely to a mist, vapor, or mere breath. So why don't you do this with me? Take a big breath in. Now let it out. And the author of Ecclesiastes would say, that is your life. It is quick. It is quick. It goes fast. Refers concretely to a mist, vapor, or mere breath, and metaphorically to something that is fleeting, or elusive, like like a breath, like fog, like steam. It appears five times in this verse and 29 times in the other verses in Ecclesiastes. Twelve short chapters occurs that many times. The book of Ecclesiastes explains how to live our vain lives. Here is Ecclesiastes' point: All is vain. When I think about this, you can think of this like breath. It's the same word, "hevel," uh, the word for vanity, is the same word in Proverbs chapter thirty, where it's or thirty-one, where it says, "Beauty is fleeting; it's going away." As I think about this, I think of like a match. It it goes quick. It's there, and it's gone. And this is your life. It's there, it's gone. You have kids, and then they're big, and then they move out, and they're gone. You're born, you live, you die, and that's it. It goes quick. He's going to make this argument, because none of us believe this. You know, all of us are going, well, my life's not vain. That's not how my life is. Well, he's going to argue this in three different ways. First, he says, the next verse, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils? And this is a key phrase we're going to come back to throughout this series, Under the Sun. Like, so he's saying, what can you really gain? Like, in this life, if this life is as fast as a match. If this is your life, what is it that you can truly hold on to? What is it that you can truly gain? Because your life is going away. So the question I started with is, Ronald Reed, was he wise or was he a fool? And I've thought about this for probably close to a year. And the conclusion, because I've been trying to think, how would the author of the book of Ecclesiastes answer this? Would, would the author of the book of Ecclesiastes say Ronald Reed was wise or Ronald Reed was a fool? And I've come to the conclusion, I think the author of the Ecclesiastes would say, it doesn't matter. Ronald Reed is buried in Meeting House Hill Cemetery, and he is just as dead as the dude next to him. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. What, why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, This is also vanity. He's like, I tried and tried and tried to be wise, and then I realized I'm going to die just like the fool, so what's the point? Because it's all vain and it's all going away. What can you gain? You don't believe this. I, I mean, I know, I know, like, I, I wrestled with this too for a long time. Like, a long time. This is hard stuff. But he goes on. Like, it gets, it gets in some ways worse. He says, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. What he's going to argue now is that life is desperately unsatisfying, and unfulfilling because nothing ever truly changes. Now you're going, I know that's not right. If I could change my life just this little way, I know it would be different. Well, watch. He says, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the places where it rises. Or the sun returns panting. Imagine watching somebody running around and around and around and around on a track just like the sun goes around and around and around and around or just like the earth goes around and around and around the sun. I mean, you just watch this go round and round and round and round and round and you sit there and go, that's my life. I do the same housework over and over and over every day. The same stuff. And what do I do the next day? Well, the same stuff again. Nothing changes. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Round and around goes the wind. And on its circuit and the wind returns. So he's, imagine somebody sitting on a cliff overlooking the ocean and the wind is just gusting. The wind is working very hard. The wind is blowing. And he says, that's my life. I work so hard, and it's just going around and around and around and around. I made the same meals this week that I made last week, and I'll make those same meals again the following week. You know, I do my laundry, and I put it the way the same laundry, the same laundry week after week after week after week. The same household tasks, the same meals, the same jobs. It just goes round and around and around and around, and that must mean nothing really matters because nothing really changes. It's all vain. Nothing truly changes. One more example, he says, all the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. Imagine somebody sitting at the mouth of a river, watching the river give and give and give and give. And the sea level never changes to the place where this genes flow and where they flow again. Like, it just goes on and on and on. And you might be like this, man, I give and 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 nothing ever really changes. I go to work and I do the same old work day after day after day. And you know what? There's still work to do tomorrow. And nothing ever really changes. We think, well, maybe, maybe life would change and be satisfying if we could be with someone different or do something different or have a new set of experiences. All things are full of weariness. Wrong, he says. Everything gets boring after a while. Even the people that work at Disneyland get bored. My dad lives in Petoskey. Well, my mom and dad live in Petoskey. I'm like, we're driving along Lake Michigan, and I'm like, Dad, you are so fortunate to live here. Like, this is amazing. You live in Petoskey. Like, look at this view. He's like, I don't even notice it anymore. Mm -hmm. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Your new experience will suffer from the law of diminishing returns. So, I mean, again, you're like, I don't think this is true. I think life is fulfilling. Well, what is fulfilling? What is truly fulfilling under the sun, this side of heaven? What is truly satisfying? So, Mark Manson um, made his fortune blogging. Not a Christian. Uh, Really, not a Christian. And he writes, when you're pursuing a wide breadth of experiences, there are diminishing returns to each new adventure, each new person or thing. When you've never left your home country, the first country you visit inspires a massive perspective shift, because you have such a narrow experience base to draw on. But when you've been to 20 countries, the 21st adds little, and when you've been to 50, the 51st adds even less. It sounds like something Solomon would have written. The same goes for material possessions, money, hobbies, jobs, friends, and romantic sexual partners. All the lame superficial values people choose for themselves. The older you get, the more experience you get, the less significantly each new experience affects you. The first time I drank at a party was exciting. The hundredth time was fun. The five hundredth time felt like a normal weekend, and the thousandth, thousandth, thousandth? I can't say it, sorry. Time felt boring and unimportant. Unimportant. Because what's truly satisfying? What's truly fulfilling? This is the picture I get in my head of the sun going round and round the track, or the wind going round and round the earth, or the water cycle going round and round and round, or us trying hard, trying really hard to find something new that's different. New that's exciting, new that's fulfilling, new that will really change things. We put in all this effort, and there's a lot of movement and there's a lot of sound, but at the same time we're just we're still in the same spot. And this is why he's arguing that life is vain. Because nothing really changes. Because number one, what can truly be gained? You can't gain anything. Because life is so short. Because you're not going to be fulfilled trying this or trying that, being done with that or being done with this. Life, life is too short and it doesn't change. But we're like, wait, I know this is not true because I am living for my legacy. I want to be remembered. What has been is what will be. And what has been is what will be done. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. And I have written in my Bible, the more things change, the more they stay the same. There has been new technologies over and over and over and over. And every new technology turns out to be just like the last one. And we're still where we are Is there, a new th- is there a thing of which it is said? See, this is new. This will change everything. It has already been in the ages before us, and there is no remembrance of former things. Or you could translate this, former people. We don't remember those people. We don't remember those adventures. Nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come later, or later people. You're not going to remember the people back there and the people up there won't be remembered either. No one will be remembered. Now again, I don't think you believe this because you're like, well, I know I'm going to be remembered. I know I will. Okay, I need a volunteer. You have a volunteer? All right, Ezra. What is the name, the first name? Just stand up. What is the first name? So you have four opportunities to get this right first names of your great-grandparents. Ida? Okay, that's one. Ansel? That's kind of, (laughs) yeah. Step, yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's pretty good. That was better than I thought I thought whoever would volunteer. I didn't know he was going to volunteer. But anybody that volunteered, I thought they might not even remember the name of your great grandparents. Now, if we said great, I mean, do you know? Do you know the name of your great grandparents? The first name of your great grandparents? Do you know that? I mean, maybe a couple of us do. A couple of us, do you know the name of your great great grandparents? Do you know the name of your great great grandparents? See, I, I'm, just, I'm just guessing that you've forgotten them and that someday you'll be forgotten and that someday your kids will be forgotten. Because after all, all is vain. Now some of us are going, no, my family will remember because I remember them and I, I don't know if that's true. They might know your name, but I don't know if they're going to know anything else about you, like in a genealogy list or something. But some of us are going, no, I'm going to leave my mark at work. So Arthur Brooks from Strength of Thin- Strength writes, in my conversations for this book, many people at the end stages of their careers talked about how they wanted to be remembered. Like, I'm going to go out and people are going to know my name. They're going to remember my work. I'm going to leave a mark on this company. But it doesn't work. They forget you. People move on in the popular Jack Nicholson movie about Schmidt. The lead character is a retiring, successful actuary, stunned to find that no one seeks out his advice. When he drops by the office to help out a few days after retirement, he finds them throwing all his old work into the dumpster. It's a scene with a lot of pathos, but it's based on truth. As one retired CEO told me, as I was writing this book, in just six months, I went from who's who to who's he. Because life is vain. It's all vain. And see, I wonder if this is why some of us are so frustrated with life. I wonder if we're so frustrated frustrated with life, and we get so depressed sometimes, we get so angry sometimes, because we're trying to demand something from life that life can't give. We're trying to demand gain from life that it can't give us. It cannot give us permanence. We're trying to gain satisfaction from life by changing something, but life doesn't change. from trying to violate the law of diminishing returns, but it won't be violated. We're trying to demand that we have a legacy and that everyone will remember us forever, and and they won't. See, all is vain. Unless it isn't. The Apostle Paul was writing the church in Corinth. Who were chasing after the wind, by the way, doing all manner of vain things. And he's talking to them about their life. And he talks to them about the importance of Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. And this is what he writes about Jesus' resurrection and its application for our lives. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58: Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor. It's not in vain. Why? Well, because the resurrection is true. Because the resurrection really did happen. Because Christ rose. If we're in him, we will rise with him, like we sang, and Christ be magnified. There really is eternal gain. You really can store up treasures in heaven. Life really can be satisfying because your eternal trajectory can be changed, and so can theirs because of Christ's death and resurrection and Holy Spirit power in their lives. And you don't have to live so that people see you and remember you. Like Matthew chapter 6 talks about, you can live so God sees and God remembers. So, if November 27th is your deadline, how will you live between now and then? the book of Ecclesiastes would plead with us to not waste our lives trying to gain what cannot be gained. It would plead with us to not waste our lives trying to seek satisfaction from what cannot ever fill us up. It would plead with us to stop trying to be remembered by people who are going away as fast as we are. Your life is too short to waste. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you pull us towards yourself today. Help us turn away from the vain things that charm and deceive. Help us turn to you, because you are what lasts. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we take communion, in a little bit, we're going to sing one verse of Before the Throne of God Above, and... As you sing this song, just think about standing before the throne of God and what that means for us that we have a place before the throne of God. So if you could, st- um, you can actually stay seated. We'll, we'll stand in a little bit. So we'll, we'll stand after we um, sing the first.